Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Classroom Matters with me, your host, Christy Hool. And on today's episode, I am delighted to have Dr. Toby Travis joining us for a conversation about trust in the school environment. Dr. Travis is the founder of Trust Ed, which is a framework focused on developing trusted leaders in educational settings. He is an experienced teacher, administrator, and currently serves as a superintendent of the Village Christian Academy in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Welcome, Dr. Travis. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. I'm really honored to be here. Appreciate it. So we're going to dive in because I really want our listeners to know a little bit about your background and a little bit about the work that you're doing with Trust Ed and, and how you're assisting schools where we are. Well, background is very mixed. Uh, I, I do a lot of trainings now in the last few years with school administrators, and I often ask the, when they're in the room, I go, hey, how many planned on being here in your career? And almost no one raises their hands. It's like we, we all get to school administration through you know unplanned um, journeys. But we get here because we're passionate about lit kids and learning and, and the importance of our schools and our communities. So again, varied background. I actually was in entertainment for years. I was in the nonprofit corporate sector for years and, and then transitioned into the classroom and working in international schools as, as well as faith-based schools and enjoyed my classroom time, uh, but got tagged for administration pretty early on. So I've been a middle school coordinator. I've been a high school principal. I've been a secondary principal. I've been a head of school and, and now uh, superintendent of a private school, a head of school, really, uh, here as well. And then been in consulting for a number of years now, mostly working on school improvement initiatives, as well as doing mentoring of, uh, of, of school leaders. And there are just Tons of issues, as you've already uh, alluded to, especially going through the pandemic. Uh, it has just really raised the issue of trust as kind of top of the of the agenda. So, been been lots of conversations to have and, and lots of work to do, but really honored to to be involved in that work and to see the power of trust and when we're intentional about developing it, to see the the many benefits that has to not just the individuals themselves, but also to the schools that they serve in. And I love the fact that you brought up most people that go into administration or in central office did not plan that journey because it's really, really true. And I don't know if a lot of our listeners realize this and if they're administrators, they do. So those folks that are listening that are administrators are probably shaking their head and saying, yep, that was me. But I think it's important for teachers to know too when you talk about trust, and that's really what I want to focus on in this issue with you, is administrators were all just teachers at one point too, and going through some of the same issues that teachers are dealing with now. And, and like you said, a lot of times administrators are just sort of tagged for administration early on because they show leadership skills, they show the ability to you know lead a group of whether it's grade level or what have you, and then they just sort of get pushed onto that path of administration. And trust isn't something that you learn in your educational administration courses. I didn't ever take a course on trust, did you? No, no, <laughs> it did not exist, right. And so you, you are thrown into it, administrators are thrown into that role having to figure that out as they go. So 
what would you say is the biggest issue in school settings with trust? Well, the biggest challenge is teachers feeling supported. So if you look at the exit data, so why are, why are teachers leaving schools? And what we learned is it's, it's not about the money. It's not about student behavior. It's the number one reason is because they do not feel supported by their, their administrator or their supervisor. You know, so there's some variance in that. But the, the big issue is, no, I'm, I'm not feeling supported. I don't believe my, my administrator has my back. And, and that's why they're leaving. And it's also why they're not coming back. You know, we look at this great resignation and the the teacher shortage. We've had a teacher shortage for years. Our colleges and universities have been graduating fewer and fewer students in ed programs. And so that's that's another part of the, of the recipe for the challenge that we have with so many vacancies. But I, I think part of the, the great resignation in almost every industry is people are not coming back because they don't feel their employer really is going to have their back and protect them. And, uh, and that's critical for the success of schools. So I, I think that's probably the biggest issue is that idea of, uh, I don't feel supported. And so when you go into schools, because I know a lot of your work is uh, working with school districts, working with leaders, working with educators on a large scale. When you walk into a school, because I know, again, that some of our listeners, especially the teachers are saying, he's absolutely right. Um, you know, I've thought about leaving or I did leave because of that exact reason. So when you walk into a school building, what are some red flags or what are some things that you see? How do you assess the trust level? Because people aren't really going to just come right out and say, oh, I don't trust my leader. How do you get around that? Multiple ways. So um, one is to actually use an assessment tool. We actually have a 360 tool that we use. So that, that is a piece of data. It's anonymous. Uh, it's secure. And we get feedback from employees yeah, on the leadership. And we actually assess six different components of trusted leadership. And, and this is basically what the trusted framework is about, is how do you drive school improvement through the development of professional development of leaders in their trust levels? So that's kind of what that's all about. So there is a, an assessment tool, but it's just one piece. And, a, and as an educator, you know, you, you want to look for a triangulation of data, right? So I'm looking for at least three data points. And so that, that is a data point. Uh, another is, is I dive in and I look at their operational procedures and you look at their employee manuals and you look at their student handbooks. And if you find policies and practices that are based on assumptions of distrust, you know you've got work to do, right? So we've got a policy and practice because some teacher misbehaved. And so now we're punishing everybody. Um, that is a climate of distrust. So even just doing kind of that analysis of what are our policies, what are our procedures, what are, because what we've learned is the more you extend trust, the more trust you get back. So we look at, okay, are we creating an atmosphere where we don't trust you as an employee? We don't trust you as a teacher to do the right thing. So we have all these accountability restrictions uh, around. So we, so we look at that. Uh, the other is just lots of conversations. Uh, in fact, I just set up a, a visit. I'm going to a campus and I'm, I'll spend the whole day with focus groups, you know, four, five, six kids, parents, teachers at a time. And, and I basically ask uh, three kids. Uh, key questions. I won't tip what those are. Those are my questions, but, um, but I've, I've developed three simple questions that I can assess a school culture almost within a day and have a really good feel of what's going on as far as trust levels. And so I look at those focus group conversations. I look at what's in print, 
What are they doing systematically that may be either really helping their trust levels or uh, taking away? And we look at the data. We look at an assessment tool where we collect the data. We get a 360 assessment in and we look at those numbers. And then based on that, no, I can pretty much figure out. And then we can target in, okay, what, what do we strategically need to start doing differently on Monday to turn this around? And again, for you know, clarity, this doesn't happen quickly. Uh, when, when you look at cultures of any organization, they are developed over time. And trust, by its very nature, uh, is built over time and consistency. And that would be the other, when you asked me earlier, you know, where, where do you see trust broken? Uh, that issue of support is, is always huge and always comes up. In the trusted framework, we talk first about having a foundation of trust, which is all about beliefs and values. And then using a bridge analogy, talk about the substructure, which is connecting and supporting everything we do to the foundation, to those beliefs and values. So here's another thing that we find is when there's not consistency of practice in alignment with who we say we are and what we value, that also kills trust. And so often uh, a lot of our work is looking again at what are our practices, what are our procedures, what are, what are our behaviors, and are they in alignment with what we say we value? So if we say, hey, teachers are our highest value, but we haven't fought for a raise for them in three years. Well, that's, you know, that's nonsense. Your, your actions or your lack of action um, speaks very differently than, than what you say you value. So those types of things is how we do the assessment. You work in a setting now where you're going in, you're collecting all this data from teachers. Do you find that we're in a culture on average, because I know you probably go to a lot of different school districts, on average, do you notice or do you feel that teachers feel comfortable to give you the truth um, and are really open and vulnerable with you about their concerns about trust? Yeah, I do. I really do. And, and you might not expect that, but and maybe it's because of the times we're in. I think there's even more openness today than probably has ever been, to be honest with you. No, it's like, you know, what's that old expression? You know, put the nickel in and, and the song plays. And it's, I open the door. Again, there's a couple of disarming statements I make. Open the question. It's like, you know, the time flies and, <laughs> and they just dump. And I think part of it is they're looking for some money to listen and they're looking for answers because most teachers want to stay. You know, they, they love teaching. They love kids. They want to be there, but they're miserable with the environment that they're in. And, and that's a broad statement. There are many very healthy schools. There are a lot of good stories out there as well. Um, but those, those are schools that have been very diligent in valuing teachers understanding that they are the essence of the school and teachers are their priority. And in those environments, no, you've got teachers. No, I, I, I'll come to work. This, this is where I love to be. This is where my community is. This is where I'm supported. But in, and, and as you can imagine, most of the schools that call me, they, they've already identified we got trust issues. So we need a trust expert to come in here and help us turn this around. In those settings, no, it's open, open the opportunity to, to unload their their frustrations and, and I, I, I get an earful. Yeah. And I think you hit the nail on the head when you said one of the reasons that you feel that they're so open is because you are also there 
to help them with the answers. You're there to help them solve the problem. You're not just someone who wants to listen, 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 and then say, well, there's a, oh, sorry, there's nothing we can do. You're there to help them solve their problems. Right. And, and I'm not evaluating their performance. You know, I'm not in there to critique them as professionals. It's no, I'm, I'm, I'm there to try to help. How do we, how do we turn this place into uh, a school that people are eager to be a part of? Because there's a direct correlation between trusted leadership and student achievement. And between that connection is obviously the teachers. So we've known for years, the, the number one element of quality instruction is teacher engagement with the student. You know, it's all about the teacher. But what we have to continue that line, though, is what keeps teachers engaged is trusted relationship with the administrator. And, you know, Marzano and his group a few years back, they did a great meta-analysis of, it was like 30 years of, of school leadership research, and they identified these 21 connectors to student achievement based on leadership practices. Well, this is part of what we, we take a, a close look at is, okay, how do we ensure that there's high levels of engagement and support for teachers? Because when that's there, you almost automatically see an increase in student achievement levels. And uh, so, you know, it's the, you know, keep teachers happy, then kids are happy. If kids are happy, parents are happy. If parents are happy, then we get to be happy as administrators. But boy, you've got to keep it in that order. You know, when we're talking about, um, when we're talking about instructional design, we should always be asking the question, okay, what is best for students and for their future? Always, right? It's student-centered. You hear that expression all the time. Rightly so when we're talking about instructional design. But when we're talking about school management and school health, it must always be teachers first. We must always be asking, how does that impact our teachers? How does that benefit our teachers? How do we ensure that that's not creating an additional point of stress for our teachers? Always, always, always teachers first, because when teachers, again, when they're happy, when they're engaged, when they've got paths for advancement, that's always a really tricky conversation in education, because as you mentioned, often those of us in administration, we were happy and successful teachers, right? And we end up you know, sucking our best teachers out of the classroom because we need administrators desperately. Well, but teachers do need a path for advancement. Some, some teachers get really frustrated. After five years, they feel like, no, I'm played out. I've got nothing else more to do. In fact, some studies have showed up to 50% of teachers are leaving after that five-year mark. And they're not just leaving schools, they're leaving education. We've got to figure out ways that that can change as well. And like you're saying, so many things are interconnected. It's not just as simple as we don't trust our administration. We take, you know, we give all this data and then things change. So it's it's so complicated. Uh, and I realize that. And so I'm, I'm, I'm so glad that you're sharing all that information. And so now you've got all this information. The teachers are opening up. They're sort of like dumping on you because they feel comfortable. On average, how easy or difficult is it then to take that information to the administrator and have them, I know there's probably, I, I can speak from experience, a little bit of pride, a little bit of ego. They have to be open enough. So on average, is that the more difficult piece is really saying, well, here you go. These are, these are, this is the way your teachers feel. Well, again, for me, one of the kind of the, the blessings though in my situation is 
the schools that call me, they already know they've got a trust issue for the most part, right? So they're they're already looking for help. They've done some self-analysis. So I think they're they're a little bit more open. What breaks my heart is when I hear stories and know of schools and school leaders that really need my help or the help of you know a consultant that I know and and they're not open to it because they think they've got to figure it all out. They, you know, they and and they're intimidated to open up and be um, vulnerable. And and yet we see that that's the very thing that builds higher levels of trust. Just by a leader, a, a school principal or a superintendent saying, all right, assess me, tell me how I'm doing in my leadership and lets their employees speak to them on that. That action alone builds a level of trust. You know, so vulnerability is so important. In those schools where they're not at that point, they're not the ones that are reaching out and calling a, a consulting group to help them. You know, they, they're just kind of swinging it out and, and they're not going to get better until they're willing to realize, no, I got a problem here and I need help of someone that has a skill set other than what my skill set is. So, yes, do I see resistance? Yes, but typically with the schools that I'm working with, no, because the very reason I'm there is they want help. Now, are they always happy about some of the suggestions? You know, maybe not. You know, there, there's some hard work that has to be done, especially if there are ingrained elements of culture and practice that, you, well, you know, the classic, we've always done it that way. Well, stop doing it that way. You know? and, and it's hard because schools are cultures, right? They, 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 you know, and the older a school is and the more traditions the school has, often traditions will kill a school from its mission fulfillment, right? And, and because the traditions, it becomes more about the culture rather than really delivering what we say we want to be delivering here. And it's hard work. It's hard work. And the fact that it is so ingrained in how they've always done things, the way things have always been done in the educational system. And I know that you know this as well as I do, and not even speaking about trust, but just the all around educational setting, we're still doing so many things that we have done for the last 30, 40, 50 years that are just not beneficial anymore. But we just, you know, I, I was I was reading a post on somebody's page the other day and I was I was dumbfounded because it was something about having to still turn in a year's worth of lesson plans, you know, and 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 probably when you were teaching, when I was teaching starting out 20 some years ago, that was, you know, we had to do that. But to think, and I think my response to that was, are we still in a culture of education that people are being asked to turn in a year's worth of lesson plans on the first day of school? That is just insanity to me when you think about how the teaching and learning and how that actually works. Why are we still doing things that just don't make any sense? And I know that goes with the trust issues too. It's hard for administrators to trust. They're scared. And this is my next question to you. You know, you talk about sort of letting down uh, in some of your other uh, interviews and, and conversations that I've heard you and you talk a lot about letting down some of those walls and those barriers to build trust by treating teachers like the professionals that we hope they are when we hire them. So talk to us a little bit about not so much the trying to sort of beat teachers into the submission of following the rules, but having that trust from day one after they're hired. Well, you know, that old saying, hire well, support well, that that really should be the mantra in every school administrator's mind. Um, 
what you really want to look for is how can we create greater opportunities for autonomy? And, and what we have seen, if you hire a professional, so, you know, there are, there's some clarifiers here, right? So, and I know, and we're in a hiring challenging time, right? We, we may not have all the professionals that, that we desire to have on our campus. And, and what I mean by that is experienced, fully self-engaged lifelong learners who, you know, they're just going to, you let them go, give them an environment to excel and they will excel. Now, there are new teachers or uh, we have a lot of folks that are transitioning. Okay. They were in this industry and they've come over and now, you know, they want to do their second career as, as a teacher, but they don't have any pedagogical background and support. Well, they need constant mentoring. Again, one of the first things you want to look at is how do we create greater levels of autonomy? You know, so much has happened over the years that was, I, I really want to say it was well intended. Uh, so you think about, you know, No Child Left Behind and those types of programs. It, 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 there's, there was good intention, but this idea of creating greater accountability for teachers, it was like, oh, so you don't trust them. So the whole system is based on an assumption that we don't trust teachers to do the right thing, right? So you got to have all these accountability practices. Well, what we've seen, and, you know, and I'm sure you're familiar with all the models in Finland and Singapore, and when there are greater levels of autonomy and greater levels of expectation, though, too, so there, there, there's, there's another side to that, people flourish in those uh, settings, and kids flourish when their teachers are flourishing. So, uh, so again, back to it would be how do we create greater opportunities for autonomy, let them be professionals, um, self-directed as much as possible, uh, helping them to make good decisions for the group of students who are in front of them today, which looks different than the group that was in front of them last semester or last year. You know, that idea of we're constantly assessing the curricular needs based on the current students. And, you know, that's an ongoing training challenge for those who don't have experience in that, but also a great opportunity to, you know, be free with, what the learning should look like, trying to truly be student-centered in what we're delivering. Talk about how difficult trust is or can be or what you've seen in the new norm of teaching from afar, hybrid, remote learning, because now you don't have the teachers in the buildings. You know, I know in my in my children's schools, I have two two children. One is high school senior this year, and one uh, getting ready to go into high school next year. Um, please help me. And um, <laughs> another middle schooler that's at home. But we've been in and out of the classroom. Some days we're there. So then we have to pull back for COVID, and then we're back remote, and then we're two days in and two days out. So. What have you seen change with the trust when now you don't even have teachers in the building, you have them working from their homes? Has that caused uh, more issues with trust? It can. So in those schools, organizations who have created systems to ensure their teachers are online and working. Yeah, that, that has trust issues all over it. Now, one of the elements of trust that we talk about is the ability to demonstrate competency. So and this would play out true in teachers as well. So all of us, now that we live and work in this in this virtual world all the time, we've had to learn a new skill set. Uh, you know, I, I do PDs all the time, professional development, right? I've had to learn how to do that remotely. I, I had a client in Vietnam for a year and uh, the time zones also were, you know, that was, that was crazy. Um, just trying to figure out how to, how to make that work. But also I had to 
get up to speed really fast on all these interactive tools. And what's exciting is there actually are some really cool tools that we can use in remote learning, you know, and how to use the chat constantly to keep participants engaged. Well, teachers, the teachers who have stepped up and, and yes, it's, they weren't looking to do this. That's what they signed up for. I, I totally get it. And I empathize that. The trust level is increased the more competent I am in using these tools. And, and so the teacher who's not diving in and figuring out how to be competent with Zoom or whatever their platform or Google Classroom, or they don't understand that, you know, sitting way off to the side of the microphone or the screen, they're going to lose student engagement, right? There's, 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 you can take courses now on framing, you know, and how you frame your, your screen and how to use those. Those are skill sets we must invest in. Administrators, we must be providing that type of training to our teachers. We can't just say, oh, go figure it out. Uh, no, these, this is the new skill set. This is another instructional strategy that we've got to develop competency in is how do we use these online learning tools? When we do that, yeah, trust levels build. And, and sometimes it's just elements, again, lighting and positioning on a screen, those skill sets. And, and that's another thing, if I may, that one, one of the, the, the fallacies that people get into conversations about trust is they think it's just some sort of soft skill that either you have it or you don't. And I'm really uh, encouraged. I'm seeing now more and more people talking about power skills. They're referring to them as power skills. You might call them life skills, really, is, is no, these are accessible. They're trainable. Uh, we can intentionally develop these skills. And when we do, those trust levels go up. So share a little bit with us about your organization, Trust Ed. I'm really interested and I want to make sure that our listeners get the information about the organization that you have, the help that you can provide, and the resources that they can attain uh, through contacting you. Thank you. Well, my agents, it's just Trusted Consulting uh, is the name of my business, if you will. They can find me at trustedconsulting.org. Trust Ed came out of my doctoral program, um, and it's really a framework. And I think you mentioned that in the in the introduction. So, but it's a framework for school improvement. So basically, you know, I'm a school improvement expert, right? This, this is my expertise is how do you assess uh, the needs of a school and then intentionally develop action plans that uh, get the school closer to mission fulfillment and well-being. Yeah. So, you know, that for me, I, I have, I have friends who are really amazing turnaround principals, right? They'll go into some of the lowest performing districts and they can turn them around really fast and change some, some of those academic numbers. And yet what I find is it's short-lived. If you don't spend time on the culture. And uh, so our, my work, I say our work because I am associated with the Global School Consulting Group. Uh, we have about 20 consultants that are just world-class and, uh, and working in about 100 countries right now, I think. And it's an honor to be a part of that group. So, you know, if, it, if I identify a school that has needs that I don't have the expertise in, for example, I can talk curriculum with you, but I am not the guy to do, you know, your curriculum overhaul, but I know who is, and I can point you to her and she's phenomenal. You know, so there's, there's connections there. Um, so trust ed, that framework again, is we're assessing school leaders uh, in their leadership skills. And there are six components of this. We use this bridge analogy to, to talk about that, as I mentioned before, 
but we we create and and garner data data rather on on these six components and then develop uh, action plans on how to increase uh, skill sets competencies in these uh, various components of trust so that that's part of the work is is I'm doing leadership PD uh, I do strategic planning and work with boards, uh, looking at overall school health and design. Uh, I do coaching. I do coaching cycles with with leaders. And um, we've recently just, because of how the book is doing, uh, uh, we've created a trusted certification program. So, hey, you want to get certified in the trusted framework? You know, that's now something that we're offering. If they go to the site, trustedconsulting.org, just click on services and you'll see what we're doing with boards and with leaders. Um, I am an instructional expert, so there's also an assessment we've developed on on teacher methods. So how do we have data to drive and inform what our professional development of teachers are looking like? And we're not just reacting to uh, a complaint by a parent or a teacher who is lax in an area, and then we punish the whole school by, you know, putting everybody through some initiative. So we have some tools for helping school leaders even figure, okay, how do we get strategic in our professional development plan for our, our instructional team? Um, but anyway, basically anything that's school improvement um, associated, that's, that's kind of what my passion is, and, but also with this idea of, of well-being and, and creating positive culture, because when we do that, then we see it's sustainable and it becomes systemic. I've been on campuses now that, I mean, they live and breathe school improvement as a culture. And it's so fun to see these schools that go from really toxic uh, environments that slowly turn and become these schools of, no, we're engaged in learning and helping each other learn and do better. That's that's exciting and, and fun work to be a part of. Um, and so that's 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 kind of what I do. So before we wrap up, I want to see if you if for those for those folks that are listening um, before they reach out and have you come and work at their school. What are what are a few? Do you have a few little small things that either leaders or teachers could could, you know, after listening to this podcast, say, you know, that's a really good idea. I might try that when I go into work next week, what are just a few little things they can try to get started on this journey? Well, one of the the mentoring uh, tools that I use or mentoring practices when I'm mentoring a leader, and and this would work for teachers as well, is uh, never make a decision when the other party's in the room. So, you know, think about you've got a disgruntled parent or you've got a disgruntled employee. Your role in that conversation is to be empathetic to hear, to listen, to ask lots of questions, make sure you understand their perspective. Be as, again, be as empathetic as possible um, using uh, phrases like, this must be really hard for you. You're not necessarily agreeing with whatever their frustration is, but you're demonstrating empathy. You know, and we talk about you know, just body language and listening skills, but never make a decision in that moment. So take the time to make good decisions. So get all the information, but never make a decision uh, when they're in the room. And then you've got time to reflect, maybe seek some other information, and then make a decision and move on. So that, that would be a practice that also develops uh, greater levels of trust. Never use email to solve a problem. Never. In fact, the schools I work with, we often will look at their grievance policies and we will modify them to say that you may not submit a grievance 
via email. Now, you can put it in writing, but it will not be addressed via email. It will not be responded to via email. We're going to respect each other as, as human beings. And so we're going to deal with each other face to face. I've literally seen that practice alone change the school culture, actually twice now, where I went into a school or I was in a school and the culture was people just blasting each other with emails and, and text messages. And we said, okay, that's stopping. We are not doing that anymore. It will not be permitted. And if you get caught doing it, there will be an infraction. So if you've got an issue, you are setting an appointment or if my door's open, you are in here and you're talking to me face to face. And it changed the culture. And people started realizing, oh, yeah, I wasn't really behaving with my thumbs. <laughs> and so you know, the mantra has been email is for information, not issues. And if we want to deal and solve issues, we don't do that via email. Those are practical skills and, and, um, and protocols that build higher levels of trust. Such great advice and just, you know, some things that we just don't think about because we've always done things a certain way. So Dr. Travis, thank you so much for being with us today. Just a wealth of new information and knowledge and kind of probably motivating a lot of people right now to really think about, um, you know, their journey in education and where they want to go from here. And so I really appreciate your time. And um, I have just really had a great time talking with you. A really important issue. Thank you very much. My pleasure. And this is Christy signing out for another episode of the Classroom Matters podcast. And don't forget to check out all of our great resources on the educate.today website.